Welcome down to this week's episode of Paddy Talks Golf, brought to you as ever by those folks in SeedGolf.com. They make the premium golf balls for half the price. So head over there, check them out, and stock up for the December golf we're all going to enjoy, like next week. And so really excited for that. But also, in advance of Christmas, pick up some dudes golf, like an ambassador pack or something, because they're the future of golf, 100% born in Ireland, supplying the world with high-quality apparel and golfing accessories. New GPS watch on the way. So maybe it's Christmas goodies for a loved one or an ambassador pack for yourself, but stick Paddy in at the checkout at www.drewsgolf.com and at least I know you listen to the podcast. And if we get enough Paddies into their checkouts, then there will be a discount code for all of you listeners soon. But you're here to listen to a great chat, and that chat this week is with Wake Forest's Aaron O'Callaghan. Doing great stuff there, building a great team and a great culture. So let's get stuck into it. Roll up there, Colette. I mean, listen, we're talking about practice. Joe Bradley told us the production line was finished in Kerry. Where's Joe Bradley? What did he get at? On this week's show, we have obviously a man from Ireland, and you'll know by his accent, he has been completely twisted by the, the corruptible American twang just yet. It's um, assistant head coach, I believe is the title, Aaron O'Callaghan of Wake Forest. How's it going? It's going great, Paddy. Thanks for having me on. Enjoy your show. Well, at least someone listened to it, more than my mother anyway. Back when it started, it was just my mother. What part of Cork are you from? I'm originally from Douglas. Uh, grew up, went to Douglas Community School there, the south side of the city. Yeah, so um, contrary to popular opinion, this is not a, gar- a Cork podcast. We've had Peter O'Keefe on, Fit for Golf on, the boys in Power Through Golf on. Obviously, there's some good golfing stalwarts and grassroots in Cork because it's it's putting on a lot of good guys. Well, let me let me just say the People's Republic, uh, Fit for Golf, grew up probably two doors down from me. Might, um, yeah. <laughs> so, so we were kicking the ball against the wall as, as youngsters and keep in touch with him. And I actually went to university with Pedro O'Keefe. Um, so we're very close as well. Yeah, I can't wait for that memorable story. So later on, it might involve a couple of those characters. So our, the first question for, for most people is, what's your earliest memory of golf? Um, I would say my, my eldest brother, Wayne O'Callaghan, he's a PGA professional back in Ireland. and um, Our I golf centre, right? Yeah, that's right. Cork Golf Centre. Um, and he has his own academy as well that he teaches out of his house in Cargilline. Um, But I would say traveling around to some of the PGA, you know, pro-ams and um, those tournaments, I, I'd go with my father and, and sometimes even get the caddy for Wayne. Um, so I, I don't know, maybe eight, nine years old. Okay, decent. So being from Cork, there's a big ball and a small ball and the small ball is not a golf ball. So what what other sports did you play growing up? Obviously, it's, you know, being from Douglas, there's a a lot to choose from. I played everything. Um, I played, you know, football, hurling, soccer, uh, badminton even. Uh, Pitch and putt was my first passion. Uh, I started pitch and putt when I was eight years old and um, was addicted immediately. Um, So my my time was was spent outdoors and, and certainly kept busy with different training sessions and what have you. 
Absolutely. One quick question before, like, and this just came into my head. In terms of, um, like, GAA training, I think, and like, Mike would say the same, I think, there's a lot of crossover towards, like, what's needed muscle-wise for the gossiping. Would you see the same thing, or? You know, I actually was made fun of um, playing hurling a little bit because I I, kind of, I would puck it almost like a golf swing. I guess I almost had a little bit of a follow-through. Um, but I do. I actually uh, I see, you know, um, the guys like James Subaru, Paul McBride. I think you have uh, a lot of rotational similarities in the golf swing. So it actually gives good foundations, I feel like, for the golf swing, as well as, you know, over here in the States, kind of baseball, very, very similar. No, Daddy, you, you'll find this as the chat progresses, the tangents will get even more elongated. So, so growing up plenty of sports. So when did golf take over? Golf oh, took over on my 12th birthday. Um, I Not went long, out. so. No failure. No, no. Um, <laughs> I was waiting long enough for it. There, there were pretty strict rules about juvenile play, which is probably, I guess, loosened since. But yeah. um, on my 12th birthday, I was taken down to Banding Golf Club. Uh, where my brother was training, um, you know, his PGA apprenticeship under Paddy O'Boyle. And that was my first official round of golf. So we walked around and, and kept the score. And um, that was my birthday present. It was great. Great birthday present. Where was the journey I supposed to turn in pro then? Well, I, I, I guess... I fell in love with it immediately and, and from pitch and putt, I developed, you know, uh, a nice short game. So I was able to score really well. Um, I, I, I think early on, I felt like this was something that I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Um, I was encouraged certainly by my parents and, and by my brother to play. So, you know, I pour, poured my heart and soul in it from, from that 12th birthday on, onwards. Um, and then I would say, you know, becoming involved in the Irish national teams and panel sessions and things like that really, you know, gave me encouragement. Um, so oh, hold on, you're there. being too modest now, even for a cock man. So like, um, under 18 championship, 2004, it's a while ago now, but like it should be on the mantelpiece and Jack Lickley's trophy. You're part of that squad as well. Was that the year you were in La Hinch? I actually played twice on the Jack Lickley. So we, we played in La Hinch and we also played in Nairn in Scotland. Um, which was which was a great honor, obviously great great experience, and um, you know I look at those team pitchers now, and, and a lot of tour players have, have come out of those teams, and um, sometimes I scratch my head and I'm wondering, you know, what am I doing coaching here? But um, now, yes, I mean, look, I, I had a very nice junior career, and always very proud to wear the green jersey, um, so they're very fond members memories for me. I don't know about you. Uh, well, you definitely don't remember me, but I was at the back of the 15th green for the Jack McLees on the scoreboard. And that was the moment I decided golf is, golf is the thing. Golf is the thing. Like seeing these guys coming through and seeing the few, like I was, I was old at that stage. How old was I? I was like 15, 14, 15. But I was like, when I could see, I, I'd never seen proper elite golfers before. I'd never been to an Irish Open or anything like that. And, I, and these are like the top amateurs. So Pablo Martin was on that team for the Europeans. Uh, I'm not sure it was Keen McNamara on the Irish side. Um, yourself, you know, some, some real bios. Yeah, Keen was actually our team captain there. Um, very close friend of mine, great guy. Um, but, 
You're right, you're exactly right. Pablo was was the kid. He he kind of won everything at that point. <laughs> Driver Samnitz to the 18th every day. <laughs> yeah, a, a, amazing player. Um, and going back to the 15th, I'll never forget a shot on the 15th. There, I was playing. My foursomes partner was a guy called Lloyd Saltman, um, and I think Lloyd kind of had the respect of of all of us. We we were kind of amazed with how good he was at that time. Um, but he was inside in a bunker, uh, I think on the left-hand side of 15 and, you know, I had put him there, of course, and the pin went back and, right. I, yeah, you're right. I, I'm looking <laughs> at it thinking I'm going to get in there and probably, you know, I might get a pitching wedge out of there and we're, we're kind of discussing the shot. And he says to me, I think we can get a three iron there. And I just said, do it if you think I had trust in him. And yeah. it was the most beautiful high bomb three iron into the center of the green um, that I think I, still to this day, one of the most impressive shots I've ever seen. If you don't hit anything longer than a nine iron out of that bunker, but anyway, no. I'll have to I'll have to ring him and see what he does in there because I'm trying him <laughs> in twenty years and can't get anything longer than a than an iron out of there. So elite golf in Ireland, so like accomplished, decorated, you could even say. Um, the states called. What happened? Did you get a phone call or did you go? What do we send back then? Was MySpace a thing? I don't. I can't remember. Um, Bebo, there we go. <laughs> so, how, how did the states come uh, yeah. about? Yeah, so I was selected for the six-man European boys team, um, and that that was probably the biggest stage for for junior golf for us, anyway, at least. Um, and that was held over at the Czech Republic. Uh, so we were over there and we kind of see these, you know, American coaches walking around in the rain gear and their sunglasses on and, um, you know, dressed in head to toe and all black and a little bit confused by the whole thing. But there had been a number of players uh, previous to me, of course, that had gone over to the state. So um, it was kind of talked about in amongst the team. Um, but those coaches are over to, to recruit the cream of the crop, I guess, the, the best six players in each country in, in Europe. Um, so I think that put me on display as such. Um, and, and from that, I, I started to get in re- recruiting phone calls or emails um, and fortunate enough to, to play well that week. So I got a lot of interest from a, a number of schools. Um Southeastern Louisiana was one that I was very interested in because of my good friend Mervyn Owens attending there. Uh, the legendary Mike Mulroyan um, also attended there. Uh, Marco Sullivan. Um, you know, so I, I really picked those guys' brains and, and started to ask, you know, the important questions about the coach and the climate and the schedule and all, all those various things. Um, we ended up kind of leading to a visit, um, a recruiting trip. Um, so it was called an official visit. And I went went out there through, through further conversations with Coach Tim Baldwin, uh, with, with Pedro O'Keefe. Um, and we were kind of a package deal, I guess, at the time. Uh, although Pedro was going to go a semester um, earlier than I was. We, we have an age difference and I, I was still in school. But myself and, and Pete went out and, you know, it was probably the middle of November, um, 20 degrees Celsius, no clouds, 
you know, beautiful girls walking around. You'd forgotten what Douglas church. looked like fairly quickly, I think. I, I did. Um, <laughs> it was it was just fantastic. You know, the, the golf course that we went uh, and practiced with was just carpet plantation there. It was fantastic. And uh, the teammates, uh, you know, very international feel um, in the team. And our host was, um, a player host was Hugo Leon, um, who plays a little bit on the European tour as well. But... Um, really hit it off with Hugo and a couple of the other guys in the team. And it was really that, that recruiting visit that I kind of made up my mind that this is where I wanted to go. And, um, it, it really made a lot of sense for me. So, so after your time in, in Southeastern, was it? Southeastern. Yep. Uh, club pro time was it? So what, what was the decision making process there? Did, was there a decision to make or was it a no brainer at the time? So I went through college and I, I certainly had my ups and downs, uh, as far as, I guess, you know, um, form and, and, and competitive results. Um, I would say kind of my, my junior and senior year. So my last two years of college, I kind of felt the, the burning desire to play professionally dwindle a little bit, um, became a lot more interested in the instructional side of things. Um, and quite honestly, I, I love the States. I just, fell in love with the place and, and knew that I wanted to play um, and, and, and remain there. So I guess I was able to get an OPT visa, which is kind of like a work experience visa. If I was to, if I was to stay and start working immediately after my degree was completed. Um, so I had a couple of options. I, I looked into going down to Lake Nona in Florida um, to start my apprenticeship there, but it was actually at Carter Plantation, our home golf course. Uh, the director of golf there was taking a position at Baton Rouge Country Club, about 45 minutes up the road, um, and offered me, you know, a place to come work for him as an, as an assistant pro. Thought it made a lot of sense. I, I, I went and visited the club, and it was a very nice country club, and uh, Reeve Jones uh, designed golf course, and uh, membership were... Uh, very affluent. So, you know, part of my job would have been playing with them and teaching them and, and obviously kind of shop duties as well. Um, so I thought that one made a lot of sense for me. And, and looking back, I was very, very happy that I did that. I think that's a, that's a trick. Like this might get into like um, a college, college golf conversation in a bit, but it just will I'll leverage this point or reinforce this point a bit more. I think like Irish, there's a lot of Irish guys turn professional for, to be teaching, teaching professionals. And I don't think they're necessarily looking at horizons far away enough. So unless it's happening in Nina, you know, it ain't happening anywhere, you know? Um, not what happens in Nina. Third is where you want to be anyway, especially around June time. But um, you know what I mean? So like a couple of good friends of mine went over, like James Scales is over there. I think he's in South Carolina having a great time. Loves it over there. Has a great lifestyle, great life, great family now as well. And a good mate of mine and my own coach um, at the time, Keenan McDonough is over there in New Jersey. K-Mac. Yeah, that's right. You know, and absolutely, no, yeah. absolutely is... You know, enjoying every minute. He's actually yeah. seen a bit of the country. I mean that in the nicest possible terms, Keelan. There's only so many Post Malone concerts a man can possibly go to. Just in terms of opportunity stateside for young Irish pros to do their, their PGA, you know, are they still there or are they lost in the 10 years ago or so? I, I do think they're still there. I think there's examples, like you said, Keelan, you know, Sean McTiernan is another one up in Boston. Um you know, Ron O'Connor's stayed over here. There, there's a bunch of examples. Uh, it's not easy. 
um, I think it's important to to do a degree that has some sort of correlation to you know coaching or, or instructing. Um, that that was the tricky part for me, where you know you have to hire lawyers and you know they're expensive. So through that process, you got to, I guess, prove that you have the ability to do something that an American person can't. Um, it's called and having the team. having the crack is not is not the qualification, <laughs> is it? Yeah, it's unfortunately not. Um, I after I completed my OPT that that first visa, um, I then applied for what's called a H one B visa, uh, and that's a, a longer term visa. It's I guess three years, but usually gets extended another three years. So it just kind of gave me six years to, um, you know, really figure out what I was going to do. Uh, but that visa was difficult to certainly obtain. I I had to um, explain why I was an expert, I guess, on Lynx part, Lynx golf, which is unique to Ireland. Um, I felt like that was going to be a, a separator from, you know, a, t- a typical American um, young professional that, that was looking for the same job I was. Um, so eventually I was successful with that and, and I had the support of Baton Rouge Country Club um, to, to be able to kind of be patient with me and, and take on that task of trying to get that H1B. No, Darian, thank, thanks for the insight into like what that process looks like as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so you did what, four years as Club Pro and then you watched an episode or two of Friday Night Lights and you said I'd fancy that. Was this in you're, Louisville? Yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you're pretty close. Um, I, I love co- I love college <laughs> athletics. Um, I, I really do. And uh, at Baton Rouge Country Club, there was, I guess, a significant amount of turnover. Um, you know, I, I started as an, uh, an assistant pro. Then Phil Schmidt, who had hired me, um, decided to get out of the golf business. And I kind of filled his role. I became kind of the first assistant to Craig Strutters. Um, and from there, I guess I built up a client base with, with the membership to where I was extremely busy teaching. So I just essentially became the, the teaching instructor at the club, which um, was great for me. It really, I guess I cut my teeth there and in, in um, the instructional side of the game. Um, and you know, from there, Craig retired and I became the interim head golf professional, which um, I think was a blessing, really, because I kind of looked around and I said, well, this is, you know, this is kind of what I was looking to do for the rest of my life uh, was was be a, a, cl- a club pro running at a very nice, you know, country club. Um, and a couple of months in, realized that it wasn't for me. I hated it. Um, you know, I was just working myself to death and the expectations I thought were just unrealistic, um, with, with trying to hit targets in the, in the golf shop and, and trying to keep everybody happy. And, um, although I felt like I was pretty good at it, I just, I just wasn't enjoying it, I guess. Mm-hmm. So I, I saw, saw counsel from my, uh, old golf coach Tim Baldwin and uh, he pointed me in the direction he thought I'd fit the bill for for being a good college coach um, and an opportunity came up at the University of Louisville around that same time um, so I went up there and, and 
fortunate to get an interview with, with head coach at the time, Mark Crabtree. Loved the town of Louisville um, and uh, decided that this was going to be the next venture for me. So my girlfriend at the time, Kristen, um, told her that we were, you know, moving whatever it was, 450 miles up, up the country and um, starting fresh, really. So that's how it all came about. And I've had chats with um, Olivia Mahaffey and, and Paul McBride, who's, what do they call it now? <laughs> <laughs> um he's caddying this week or last week in the Irish Open um for Paul Dunners but um and Lauren Walsh and I asked him the question you know because I love Friday Night Lights I can love it and like last chance you and every bit of stereotypical American college life or high school life I'm in on you know because I'm like where would I where would I have been you know would I have been the fellow sure. with the glasses or the quarterback you know and probably neither um, probably the janitor from your point of view because they're on the teams and they're playing and they're experiencing you know life as they should be on scholarships etc but from your point of view as a coach do you is that what it's like? Well well first of all to be a college athlete it's it's very difficult um, you know pe- people I guess have this perception that it's you know parties and you know you just go here there and everywhere but the reality of it is they're they're up at the crack of dawn you know they're they have team lifts um they're scrambling to get papers in on time in their classes usually the workload there is pretty strenuous um you know and you you kind of have a team practice in the afternoon um and you know you try to have a bit of a social life at some point of the day, um, but you got to pick and choose your times. I feel like, um, you know, some, some cases because we're, you know, 18 to 22 years old, you're making bad decisions and you're probably leaning. One I made a few too many of them. I'll tell you, I made a way too have, many of them. <laughs> um, but, but I would say, you know, it's, it's very demanding to be a, a student athlete and, and certainly, um, it takes a, a unique person, I feel like, to, to be able to kind of take on that task. But I think if you were to poll, you know, people that have gone through it, they'd say that it's worth it. You know, it's it's such an amazing experience to, to have a bunch of guys that are on the same page as you and, and uh, you know, teammates that essentially become like your brothers, you know, um, to, to be going through the same things that they're going through and have the same goals and aspirations and, uh, you know, the crack of traveling around the country and, and playing unbelievable golf courses or uh, whatever sport it may be. But, you know, you, you're kind of, you're, you're given unbelievable facilities uh, and opportunity, I would say, that you really can't find anywhere else. And, then, and that's a great, like, explanation of it because when you're looking at these types of shows, you know what I mean? All, all you see is them like, uh, you know, whatever, uh, Cardinals uh, can eat all, in, all you want in this restaurant, you know, this type of stuff. But like I've spoken to a couple of people who would have come back from scholarships and, and just come back to a normal college here in Cork IT or Limerick. Or, and it's because they went over thinking that it was just a walk in the park, I'll play my golf or my soccer. Be just perfect because the college here in Ireland is, if you're on a bursary, as we call it, you get your fees paid for, your accommodation paid for, and all you need to do is pay, play a bit of Sigerson. You know, play a bit yeah. of football, and and you know, you know, it's you walk into a bank job or whatever after, and and you're sorted. So, what are the expectations? So, when you guys are going out and you're doing what was done to you, to you in a good way in terms of recruiting, 
So you got some good heads into Louisville when you were there. Some of them were quite ginger and they were quite high performing. Um, do you lay out that expectation? Well, I think my recruiting style, I, I, I'm upfront and honest. And I guess I have that perspective of being an international student. Um, you know, I, I, I tell the players that I recruit that I, I certainly don't want them to have any surprises when they come over, which I think, uh, as you pointed out, there's some cases where, you know, guys come over and didn't realize that it would be so demanding that the school was part of the deal and, and, you know, <laughs> being told what to do, you know, basically every hour of the day is part of the deal. And 6am gym uh, is part of the deal. Yeah. You know? So I, I try to be upfront and honest with them, um, and kind of lay it out and, uh, I think that way, you know, it obviously works well from from my standpoint too, where you have a guy that knows what to expect and um, is up for the challenge as such versus, you know, uh, getting that surprise and, and that feeling like, oh, you know, I'm not sure this is for me. And, you know, then all of a sudden homesickness might set in and what have you. So, um, you know, the lads at Louisville there were great. They, I mean, they just fit the bill so well for, for what we were looking for um, and kind of came in and hit the ground running and um, not to say that they didn't have their ups and downs, but um, I think, I think that they've, I think there's evidence they've all improved. Um, and I think the, the experience that they're having there, um, they'll be very thankful in years to come that they've decided to go and take it on. Absolutely. So for the likes of Hugh O'Hare or, John Murphy, who's like been prolific with the last 12 months mm-hmm. since he's gone over, um, in, in Louisville particularly. And even like people going to Wake Forest now, like Mr. Power, um, who did who I played with actually the week before he went over to the Bramazon into the, the amateur. So it's all down to me and my pep talk. That's why he did yeah. so well. Um, Thanks, Paddy. No man. problem. No problem. But like what infrastructure is there and it might be just in your communication style to enable them to, to arrive and just and just do what they do? Um, well, I think initially as a coach, uh, you know, I, I'm going to hold their hand. I'm going to make sure that, you know, they're, they're settling in well. Um, it's overwhelming paperwork that they, they come in, medicals, uh, compliance questions, meetings here, there and everywhere. Uh, so just to get them organized, you know, little things, making sure that they get their bank account set up, their phone set up, their bed sheets. I've picked out shower curtains with guys, um, you know, just making sure that I guess uh, they're not in the lurch and they're not kind of looking around, where should I be or missing this and, and getting that anxiety of this is too much. Um, you know, so I think the first part is is very much that way. Um, and then as, as far as a coaching style, I, I don't like to pour information into them uh i kind of see it more as kind of a drip i'm not going to have them change their whole golf swing or or change who they are as people and and how they you know play the game um i think that it's very important to to kind of give them the message that you know they've been recruited because we think they're really good and you know we, we like what they do already we're just I guess polishing it, like that's that's dreamland, you know. When when you when you want to hear like what's what value would I get from going there, you know? So like mm-hmm. last time I played around with golf, whatever, it wouldn't be at that level at all, right? But it's amazing what goes through your head. Well, it shouldn't be going through your head when when shit isn't right at home, you know? And it's like mm-hmm. I did need to make that cut when we move back up to Nate when we got a lockdown in six weeks. 
And I thought about that for like five holes. Yeah. So I like, can imagine, you know, you're 18, you've moved country, you don't know where Nando's is yet. And like you said, shower curtains, food, the supermarket, and then you're expected to go shoot somewhere in the mid to high 60s for the for the college, like, not to mention all the schoolwork. <laughs> well, schoolwork, uh, you know, meeting new people, you're comparing yourself to the teammates, you're trying to impress your coaches, um, different grasses, uh, it's boiling hot, you know, it's usually 40 degrees Celsius when they first arrive, um, you know, so there, there's, there's definitely alarm bells ringing, but, but it's the guys that I think embrace all of it and, not push that panic button are the ones that seem to go on and, and just, you know, as I, I sound like a broken record really when I say this, but really just asking them just to try and get a little bit better every day. You don't need to be a tour player right now. Mm. Um, you know, I think if you just take those small steps, then over the course of four years or however long they're in college, um, you know, what we're trying to do is have them, to be more ready. Then I heard Victor Hofflin say he was on a podcast. I think it was Earn Your Edge. Something Victor said was they never really talked about tour. Obviously, it was in their brains himself and um, Morikawa and Wolf. They were all kind of competing against each other at the same time. But he said what spurred him all was his own college team. Like they set the standard and they tried to meet that standard every day and, and like do one extra lift or do one extra rep, just like one extra rep every day. And over the course of four years, that got them to the level. And, and that's why they were being ready to go in college. They were just ready to go on tour because they as a team had brought themselves to, to that level of expectation of themselves. So I don't see it being corny at all in terms of get better every day. Obviously, Oklahoma State are very successful, but I think if I've if I put ten people or how many, however many's on a team, nine to twelve guys into a room that are all competitive, you know, ambitious um, and, and really driven, you know, to be the best they can be, um, and the coaching side of it, you can kind of take a step back because they all push each other, um, and you know, when you see a guy spending a little bit more time on the p- pitching green or, you know, like you said, getting an extra lift in or, or whatever it is, or, or getting an assignment in so they're not stressed, you know, for a class, um, you take notice of that. And I think if you can create that culture amongst the team, then that's that's where you see the, I guess, the players all get better. When you're looking to create that culture then, does that come into the type of golfer in person? I was going to say Wake Forest look for that, but that you look for when you are recruiting, are you looking for someone that's going to fit into the culture or like, or, or improve it, you know, give it a boost? Very much so. Um, you know, Jerry and myself, we, we talk at length about the type of guys that we want in here. And fortunately, you know, at Wake Forest, we feel like we, we kind of have the full package here as a university. Um, so, we're, we're charged with trying to win the national championship and, and be elite, I guess, in, in our sport. So we're really looking for guys um, that have unbelievable ability, but have those kind of intangibles that we just touched on that will come into a, a team atmosphere and, and benefit the group. Um, and, you know, selfishly, I, th- I think it's important, you know, as coaches, we're going to be around them every day. It's It's important that you know, we get on, that we understand one another, that they're enjoyable to be around. Um, and, you know, I guess it's the old thing that one rotten egg can 
you know, really spoil the group or, or create a cancer amongst the team or, or however you want to think about it. But um, usually if we, we do our due diligence and, and really get to know and spend time with, with a recruit, um, we, we're able to kind of make a, a well-informed decision versus kind of just bringing a guy in because he's the best player in the world. Mm. That's not what we're about. Definitely. So when you need to spend time with that person to see where they fit, and this is something I got like from chatting with um, I think it was Lauren when she said, I said, Oh, well, how many times did you go over before? You know, did you go over four or five times? Oh no, you can't do that. So like, what are the rules involved? And it could be anyone listening who wants to go to the States. Sure. I can't say, Hey, I'm going to go over and see Lauren for a couple of days. And then you're on site. That's not loud, is it? Uh, not quite. So, um, the rules are changing and, and they have changed here recently. Um, but we'll take COVID out of it for, for the time being. You're allowed to do one official visit to an institution uh, and a maximum of five official visits in, in total. Um, so, you know, when, you have, when you're speaking to 10 universities, then you need to narrow it down, I guess, to, to uh, you know, a very maximum of five if you plan to visit them. Um, those visits can only happen in your junior and senior year and after September 1st. So that would be fifth and sixth year in Ireland. Gotcha. Uh, um, there are unofficial visits uh, and the difference between the two is an official visit is where the university pays your expenses. Uh, they put you on a plane or, or you know, a train or whatever it may be and you know, pay for your hotel, your meals, wine and dine you essentially. And and the maximum time you have there is 48 hours once they get on campus. So it's kind of, uh, you know, quite, quite the rush. An unofficial visit, you can take as many of those as you like. Um, but you are on, you know, you're, you're paying your own way. So for Lauren, she, she could have probably visited more often, but the idea of obviously taking, you know, a plane ticket over to the States and, and staying in a hotel or, or what have you, it becomes very expensive. Um, typically what, what you have with international uh, student athletes, I guess, is they'll maybe narrow it down to three places and then they'll go back to back to back. So they'll spend a week over in the States, bouncing from one university to another. And then it's on the coaches to kind of organize the entire trip amongst themselves that work in their schedules um, and, and they kind of split up costs associated with it. And is there any rules around communication to and from recruits? Is that something you need to be aware of as well yes, as a recruit? Or, you know? Yeah. Yeah, again, they've, they've changed the rule here recently and what in an attempt really to slow down the recruiting process, which I personally think is a good thing. Um, you know, you had, you had kids commute or, uh, committing to places you know, a 13 and, and 14 years old here on a regular basis that... Yeah. Tom McGibbon, uh, Tom McGibbon committed to Florida, didn't he, when he was like 13, 14? Yeah, and, yeah. and that, that's unusual for an Irish person to do it, but mm. it, it was kind of the norm over here. And obviously the majority of the players are, are from the States. So um, it was kind of leading to, I guess, issues down the line where it's a verbal agreement. Nothing can be formal until they get into that sixth year in, in secondary school. 
um, where there's a, actually a written agreement in November. Um, it's called a signing period. So what they've done now to try and slow down that recruiting process is that coaches cannot have any communication with uh, you know a recruit prior to that fifth year, beginning fifth year in school. So right now, I can't talk to a, a you know a player in Ireland if he if he calls me and he's in fourth year in school. Um, I actually, you know, that'll be the first question if I pick up my phone and I happen to answer. You know, Paddy, I'm sorry, but I'm not able to talk to you. Uh, You're 33 you now. Uh, it's too, too, uh, too late. <laughs> you know, you, but yeah. you know, I will say that they can obviously send emails. They can, you know, through social media and things like that, they can contact me and, and give give me the update. I just can't respond back to them. And, and that's lifted once, you know, fifth year happens. Now all of a sudden we can go ahead and, and start having those conversations. Um, we are allowed to, to have conversations with, you know, coaches, um, you know, guys like yourself that are, are in the know or uh, what have you. But but parents and, uh, the, you know, the, the players themselves can't happen until fifth year in school. So from your three years in being a deacon now, four years being a cardinal before that and four years being a club pro and four years before that. Not putting an age in you now. The question's coming. 34. <laughs> from all that time and even like junior golf, Jack Little, like that story from the Hinch was class. Have you any particular like memorable story or a particular lesson even? Maybe it's the Mark Power Press. Is that down to you? The Mark Power Press. No, he drops no, his hands Mark, just for the back thing. Is that all him or is that a bit of old Callahan magic? No, no, that's, that that might be Eddie and Eileen, I, I guess. The, uh, <laughs> the great. The only thing Mark Mark needs is is just to get him onto the tee uh, on time. Mark is a very independent guy. Uh, from from time to time, he'll, he'll ask us to throw, you know, our eyes over his golf swing or what have you. But uh, incredibly natural, and when the lights come on, he's always ready to go. So we just got to make sure to get him there. Crazy good. Like, I only played a casual round with him. Let's just say he uh, slept in that morning due to a late night. And Mike, and he still shot, like, couple under par, you know? And that was after a few paracetamol. Is there a memorable story from across your time in, in golf where you're like, yeah, that's that's one that, that I bring out on Saturday nights? Well, I'll, I'll give you a quick Mark Power story. I'm, um, I guess I, I'm doing my research on on you know, my computer and I'm seeing obviously Mark, I think he won the Peter McAvoy trophy and I, I'd never heard of him. Um, but I am starting to obviously see that he's a very strong player and um, a great relationship with Neil Manship. So I kind of pick his brain on him and he said, yeah, he's fantastic. He'd be a wonderful player for, you know, to go to the States. And so I make arrangements to go over to, to watch the Irish boys at the castle and um, I show up with my buddy Dennis Collins we're, we're going to walk around for the day and, and my whole point of the trip is to watch this Mark Power kid so I'm walking into the golf club and it might be the fourth hole um, the tee box is off to the right just around by the clubhouse and you know I guess there's a group coming up so we've got to wait and have them hit before we can kind of continue on and I just watch and it's probably, I don't know, 80 or 90 yards away. And I, I see this kid hit and this missile goes over my head. And I just say to myself, I don't, I don't care where Mark Power is. I'm going to watch that kid for the week. 
So sure enough, walking down the fairway, turns out to be Mark Power. Um, so of all the, all the guys playing in the field, and, uh, you know, I, I continued to watch him for the next couple of years. But but that week, I mean, he, he went on to win the win the championship there and um, just really saw something special right away in him. He's, he's, he's a piece of work in, in a good way there. Aaron, quick for Q&A time. So whatever comes into your head, that's the answer. So what would your walk-on Hello. song be? Uh, Queen, Another One Bites the Dust. Oh, you're, you're in America too long. Um, gym or pizza? Uh, pizza. Hat, visor, or a Peter O'Keefe bucket hat? Oh, cap all day. Come on, Pedro, get it together. <laughs> They're coming back. Bucket life is a thing. Happy Gilmore or Tin Cup? Tin Cup. Walk or cart? Walk. Win the Masters or win the Open? The Masters. Instagram or Twitter? Instagram. Play or practice? Play. Thank you very much. Now, that, that Q&A is about half the length it used to be for the avid listeners, because this is a new question. So it's the end of the day. In Wake Forest, in the day of lessons, or maybe it's on an NCAA tournament, and you sit down to dinner that night, and you have any six people you want at the dinner, anyone. Uh, who are the six people? My mom. Can I can I include people from back home? Fly her over. Anywhere, alive, dead, Anywhere related, alive. not related, uh, hurlers, badminton oh, players, well, whatever. Doesn't matter. Okay. Uh, um, I mom, does, that, mom. does mom still make the cut? Yeah, <laughs> she does. She does. I always enjoy her company. Um, I'd have to say my boss, Jerry Haas. Uh, he's he's wonderful. He's the life and soul of the party. Great crack. Um, Peter Griffin from Family Guy. <laughs> um, my wife. Christ, I probably should have put her number one. Okay, um, we know where she ranks now. Simon Keelan, uh, Seamus Powers caddy on the PGA Tour, and Roy the Boy Clark uh, also just got out onto the PGA Tour. Uh, you know what? That's enough for me. I, I think too many people is a problem. Yeah, too many people is too many opinions sometimes. Yeah. Aaron, Aaron, thank you so much for your time. And hopefully that trip you're planning to Ireland next year is made possible with everything that's going on. And, and see you in Ireland soon. Paddy, thanks for having me. Enjoy your show. Thanks for having me. That was the Deke, the Wake Forest man, the Douglas man, Aaron O'Callaghan, associate head coach at Wake Forest University. A super chat, a great man, a gentleman. Um, never mind what he says about you, Peter O'Keefe. I'm sure you'll get over it. Um, but great insight into life in university on a golf scholarship in the States for anybody who's looking to achieve that in the next year or foreseeable future and also some great knowledge and something I didn't know about all those NCAA rules especially about texting back so it's not unrequited love he just can't um, until you know the regulations allow and then he'll text you back as, as much as you want as long as you're good enough um, and fit into the culture at Wake Forest and maybe someday I'll get to visit sometime in the future when planes are out leave tarmac and stuff like that but if you have enjoyed the episode please do leave a review wherever you listen to, listen to these podcasts listen is a tough word for me um lispy lispy but yeah if you've enjoyed the episode leave a review apple podcast or wherever you listen to these podcasts but you know what really works sharing the show so if you listen to it there should be a button on your phone on your laptop maybe even your car if you're in those, one of those fancy teslas to share the show on your own social media or grab the link and send it to your WhatsApp groups. Send it to your mate and say, hey, this isn't a bad listen. Well, 
don't if it's been a bad listen but if you, hopefully they're not so let me know um, who you like to have on the show feedback what you think is good what you think is bad um, do you like the intros do you like the music um, yeah just get involved get engaged join the timesheet at paddygolf.com I think that's enough call to action for one episode but yeah stay safe be good we're all back in the fairway soon until we teed up again soon I'm Paddy